Welcome into episode 9 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm one half of the hosting duties, Doug. And I'm the better half, Pete. Pete, what do we have on the docket for today's episode? Well, we're pretty excited to have Braden from the PP1 Podcast coming on. Uh, they're another new Ur Canucks podcast out there in the universe. You can find them on Twitter at the PP1 Podcast, and Braden is at bcursell23. I also wanted just to mention that we are recording this on Monday, so we're not going to be talking about the game tomorrow night against Detroit. We usually record after work on Tuesdays, but trying to record and watch a game at the same time, we're, we're not that talented. That's just beyond our realm. So we're recording this before the Monday game, but after the Philly game. Uh, also, happy birthday to Quinn Hughes today. We're yeah. recording on Quinn Hughes' birthday, so he's no longer a teenager. So he's now a, a young man, I guess. And last but not least, um, we're not drinking a beer this episode. I'm full of turkey. You're full of turkey. We'll have a whiskey, but I just can't pour a beer on a, on this stomach right now today. No, I, I definitely agree with you on that. <laughs> and we don't need the beer to do it. You know, we don't condone drinking all the time, but a little bit of whiskey later I think will be nice. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, jump into this then. Uh, the Canucks, uh, you know, everyone's uh, worst kept secret. Finally named their captain. It was uh, Bo Horvat. You and I attended the game. Uh, what'd you think of uh, the whole ceremony and uh, the decision for the Canucks to name Bo as their captain? It was a no-brainer. I'm sick of talking about Bo captaincy. I think uh, everyone knew that was happening. The the night overall, man. I think the Canucks did a great job. Uh, we were in our seats early. The videos were fantastic. I thought uh, going from the '70s up to the present day Canucks, showing the different decades. The players coming out, uh, the Todd Bertuzzi moment for me ranks right up there. I yeah, think. that was the biggest pop of the night, even bigger than when the, the Canucks officially announced Bo was their captain. But I also think that was because everyone knew Bo was going to be the captain. But uh, yeah, it was, it was cool to see Bert donning the old uniform and even Kirk coming out in his goalie gear. Yeah, yeah, that was great to see. I love that Kirk McLean mask and outfit. I just think when Bert came out, when they said, you know, West Coast Express. I think everyone was thinking, oh, here comes Nyazi or here comes local boy Brendan Morrison. But to bring out Todd Bertuzzi, I thought that was uh, that was pretty sweet. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't I don't think Bert had ever donned a Canucks uniform for any alumni games or anything like that since he left. And obviously, you know, there were some unfortunate circumstances when he was traded. Uh, but yeah, it was nice to see him out there. You could tell he kind of welled up a little bit in the eyes. And I thought the fans were great as well. I know sometimes the Canucks fans at the games kind of get bashed a bit for not being loud and being enthusiastic or into the game obviously it was a little tough not to be into an 8-2 drumming of the LA Kings and obviously on a special night when you're celebrating you know the Canucks 50 years in the league and obviously uh naming a new captain I think as well for myself I haven't heard the building like that since the Sedin's last game and there's just there just felt like there's a new energy in the city and with this team there's an excitement level that we haven't had in a couple of years and it was evident in the building the Larshiders were there they did a great job uh, even the lower bowl who I always harp on we're, we're up in the upper bowl everyone was just into it it felt like it was a really good crowd in there that that game and I, I loved it I mean that was that was a, a great intro to the season Quinn Hughes scoring the first goal at home uh, you really couldn't have asked for much more no, I agree. And even like some of the, I believe it was like almost a few of the lower bowl guys were started a Jonathan chant to quick. Yeah. Because uh, I, I believe he was left in for all eight goals. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that. Also, JT Miller having that kind of game in, in his first home game. Now, I've been saying 
all all off season how I wanted to see Miller come in, play on that top line, and just really win the fans over. Guy leads a team in scoring for us through through four games. I think uh, I think he's winning fans over right now. Yeah, I mean the Miller acquisition looks to be a home run so far. At least the early returns are. I didn't love giving up a first round pick, but you know you do have to give something up to get something. And this team needs to win now. And I know you hear a lot of people. Harmon Dial is one of those guys who wrote an article uh, about for the Athletic about how the Canucks can take advantage of Hughes and Besser or sorry Hughes and Pedersen's um, entry level deals and signing a guy and trading for a guy like. Uh, Miller is a way you take advantage of that. You know, a guy who's going to be a first-round pick next year, it's probably not going to be in your lineup for probably two years. Yeah, and it is a protected pick, and we've talked about this a lot in the offseason, but JT Miller is a player I've always liked. I love the versatility of him being able to bounce around the forward positions. I think he's been fantastic. Maybe our best player. I would say Markstrom's probably been our best player so far. I still think Markstrom is picked up right where he left off. Uh, but for skaters... I think JT Miller might be our best skater so far through four games. Yeah, I think Miller, Pearson, and Hughes have been the three that have stood up the most to me uh, in the first uh, four games, even though the game against Calgary, which was probably our worst game so far of the year, we probably deserved a better uh, a better effort or a better showing for the Edmonton game, even though we didn't we ended we left that game without a point. I definitely think. Uh, yeah, those three have been the best, uh, biggest standouts to me. What else from that game stood out to you? Like, what did you notice about the game? Uh, were there any things that you liked from some of the players that you know aren't being talked about as much as you know Miller, Pearson, Hughes? Um, I think Tanner Pearson. He's a guy that I'm. I've been pretty high on this year. I I thought he had a very strong game. Uh, he played three and a half minutes on the penalty kill, and he had two helpers. I think he had a really strong game. I, I really like the way he played. Brandon Sutter as well. I mean, he killed over six minutes uh, penalty time and had a three-point effort. I mean, it's his only points on the year so far coming in that game. But again, for him, that was a bit of a, a showing to the home crowd that he can still play and he has something in there. Whether he can keep producing at that level remains to be seen. But those are two guys up front who really jumped out at me. And it was also nice to see that game more ice time go into Jordy Ben and Troy Stetcher. They'd only played around 10 minutes per game through the first two. They got a little bit more time up there. Jordy Ben was killing penalties quite a bit. And they kind of got into that rotation a bit more. And I thought they both had really strong games too. You don't really notice them too much. And that's perfect for a third line pairing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, going back to the Sutter comment, I mean, I've definitely been hard on Sutter and the one thing I will always say Sutter as far as an offensive his offensive capabilities, he can put the puck in the net. He does have a really good underrated shot, but he made a couple of nice passes actually mm-hmm. and you know, I was surprised. Yeah, he he did and uh, there was a couple moments there on his assist as well and there's a couple of where he didn't get a point but just made some nice plays. He had a better vision. I thought he had a really strong game. And I mean, to be honest, LA, in my opinion, probably has the worst blue line in the Western Conference. They have a, a porous blue line out there, which is why they grabbed Ben Hutton. And the Canucks exploited that. There's a lot of energy in the building. We talked about how against Calgary and Edmonton, we were playing teams on their home openers. We got to return the favor to LA. It, it was LA was coming into a bit of a lion's den. I didn't expect the Canucks to explode like that. Four third period goals and just put it away. Uh, I thought, yeah, Sutter, good vision. He is a shooting shooter first kind of guy. He's more of a utility bottom six guy. Be nice to see him have some sort of longevity. He does have twenty goal seasons in his past. Uh, I liked what I saw from him, but 
I'm I'm really on the Tanner Pearson hype train right now. I really like what we're seeing out of Tanner Pearson. Yeah, I mean Pearson, especially on the penalty kill, I think has been great. He kind of didn't really know uh, that he was such an efficient penalty killer. And again, it's still early in the year. Um, through four games, I believe we've only given up the one power play goal. Uh, but yeah, Pearson's looked really good on the penalty kill, which again wasn't what I thought. You know, I'd be saying uh, going into this season, I thought it'd be other guys like Schaller, Beagle, Sutter, perhaps a Jake Vertanen, or obviously Louis Erickson's been parked in the press box since uh, after game one. But uh, yeah, Pearson's been a very pleasant surprise on the PK, and I think he's done a great job, and that's one of the reasons why I think our PKs look so good through the first uh, four games. Yeah, we allowed our first. Uh, power play goal against against Philly, but we still right now percentage wise we rank third in the league, uh, which I mean it's early, but a ninety two point three percent penalty kill through four games. I'll take that. Our power play hasn't been firing as we know. That's sitting twenty sixth in the league at the moment. But I think uh, Pearson uh, he's been very serviceable. I really like what he's been doing. He's I, I liked him when he was on that seventies line in L A. I think he had. A rough year going to Pittsburgh. I don't know how he couldn't get it going in Pittsburgh. Most people can. There's just there's something there. And, I mean, geez, how good is that looking? Uh, unloading good Branson for him, who uh, I believe was in the press box for a couple of games already for the Penguins. Yeah, I believe he has been. Uh, and I know the Penguins are got a lot of injuries piling up as well. And you would assume that, you know, they could probably use a guy like Pearson at this time because uh, I know they've had a lot of uh, their forward groups been getting injured. Um yeah, uh, what did you think of the Flyers game? Uh, it was good. It was a closer game. Flyers had a, a strong finish to that game. I think the Canucks were in a bit of hold-on mode. I think uh, the Flyers outshot them pretty good that game, too. It's uh, It was 32-24, to 24, and they, they did turn it up in the third. Uh, pretty even affair. Great to see the Canucks win in a shootout. Uh, really like that Pedersen goal, and nice to see uh, Pearson slide it in there, too. Um, good game. Even affair uh, pulls us up to 500, and we have two wins to talk about after uh, having a 0-2 start last week when we did the podcast. We can talk about a couple of W's now. Absolutely. It was nice to see Besser get his first goal of the year as well. Uh, I, again, I know we're only you know three or four games into the season, but uh, it did look like guys like him and Petey, before he got his first goal against um, the Kings, that they were kind of pressing a little bit. So, yeah, it is nice to see uh, Besser get his first goal of the year as well. Who do you think's the best fit right now on that top line with Besser and Pedersen? That's a good question. I mean, obviously, JT Miller's looked great wherever he's played in the lineup. Um, I think Green put Miller on that top line to try to get them going, and, I mean, the results seem to have worked. We're 2-0 since Miller's been put on the top line. Um, So he's probably the most logical fit. So I guess the question is then, who's who's the third forward on the second line? Uh, right now, it's it's Levo, I think. Um, I've enjoyed what I've been seeing out of some of these, uh, the third line, with which is Furland, was Furland, Gaudet, and Sutter. And there's thought that Gaudet might be coming back out of the lineup for the Detroit game. Um, I like Levo in there. You know, I, I'm a bit of a Levo fan. I think he plays, he does a lot of things well. He doesn't excel at anything, but I never feel he's a liability out there. Uh, and I think he plays a pretty solid game. Bo and Tanner really seem to have some good chemistry as well. And you're right about Miller. Miller could just as easily go back with Horvat and Pearson. That was our best line for the first two games. But I do like Miller really jump-starting this Pedersen-Besser line right now. Uh, and I think if there's more chemistry there, I think for now, that's who you got to leave up there. Probably leave out in that spot and then uh, see what happens with the bottom guys. I like Fertanen in the fourth line. I think Fertanen has been 
serviceable. He's if that's what we get out of Jake Vertanen now, maybe that's just what he is. Maybe he's a serviceable fourth liner, but he's played that role well. And for all the crap that he's taken uh, and all the stuff that he's kind of brought upon himself up to this point, he seems to be owning up to it and really working hard in a fourth line role right now. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been a lot more critical of Jake's play over the years, I think, than you have. And I have liked what I've seen out of Jake after the first couple of games here. I think he's uh, he's played with that kind of hard edge. For the limited ice time he's had, because he's not playing special teams, uh, so he's not on the power plays, he's not on the... Uh, or if he is on the power play too, it's kind of like a rotating cast of that third winger, whoever's going on there. Uh, he's getting no penalty kill time. And uh, yeah, I've liked what I've seen so far. Uh, I find it interesting that there's been some uh, hubbub about uh, the the lineup changing, even though they came off a win against uh, Philly. There, uh, are you one of those guys that you know think if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it? Uh, to to some extent, I, I always think there's things that we don't know. Um, I would I am surprised though if Mott is coming in to me. Schaller would be the guy to take out. Yeah, uh, that would I I think make the most sense. Schaller's been okay out there, but. I, I think Godet's look better out there. Well, yeah, and I mean, to me, I don't think Schaller has done anything to be rewarded. I mean, I, I think what Schaller gives you game to game, Mott can give you the same with even a little bit more energy. I think Mott kind of has that energy. You kind of notice yeah. him when he's out on the ice. Yeah, he's a bit of an energizer, but he's a good skater. He's quick into the corners. Schaller is is stronger on the boards just because he's a bigger body. But I would personally, I hope Godet's in the lineup tomorrow. And I mean. By the time we release this, we'll already know the answers to this, but I would rather that Mott, if he is coming in, replace Schaller than Gaudet. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I, I think Gaudet's played well. He's had a couple of points. At least I know he's at least had one assist. I believe he's had two. Um, but yeah, I thought Gaudet's played well, and I like the fact that Green moved Sutter to the wing uh, relatively quick as well. He was kind of committed to keeping Gaudet in the... Uh, in the center position, which I like. I think it's better for his development moving forward. You want him to be a center moving forward. And I think Sutter's played well on the wing as well. And one thing I know you and I were noticing uh, during the Philly game uh, was the fact that now that you have these guys, like a JT Miller is another perfect example, you know, you've got two or three guys on the ice that can all take faceoffs. I mean, I know a lot of the faceoffs on the first... Uh, on the first line, we're in the offensive zone. We're be take, we're being taken by Miller and not mm-hmm. Petey. Well, again, this is something with uh, the new rule this year, and this is something I've been saying a lot: is it's okay to have extra centers on the team. And again, that's the versatility of a guy like Miller, who can move around to that, and Pedersen as well. Pedersen can go both sides. It's important to have that with uh, the second center if you're choosing the side that you want it on in the offensive zone and your guy gets thrown out for whatever reason, you still want to have that advantage. And so I know that there's been a, quite a bit of shifting around with that, but I, I like that. I, I even saw Besser take a face-off uh, the, in the Philly game. Besser actually took quite a few face-offs when he was in North Dakota. Um, I think most of it was just, you know, the center iceman be getting waved out. But yeah, Besser has taken a few face-offs in the past. I also think, and I, I, I like it to start the power play the first unit power play to have Miller maybe take the face off because Petey is a shooter, right? So if you're able to kind of set it up so, you know, you can get that, you know, face off win back to Petey and he can blast the puck right away and hopefully get a one-timer goal, you you have two great shooters on your left and right side with Besser and Petey. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely love that. And again, speaking back to the whole versatility and 
I look at it on the third line as well. I know that's something that Goddetts needed to work on is his face-offs. And having Sutter as your kind of security blanket to be able to go in there and still win the big face-off, especially on the defensive end, because you would think most of the time that third line's going to be playing on the defensive side more than getting offensive starts. Um, and, yeah, I, I just love it. I think it's it's a really smart move. And, obviously, I think the Canucks think face-offs are important. they got a guy like Manny Malhotra on the team who obviously is helping the players and their face-off game over and over again. And, yeah. I think as well with the third line, we've seen elements, or some positive elements now, of how that line can score. Uh, but we... It's early, but I'd like to see a little bit more out of that. Uh, the LA game obviously helps everyone's stat lines, but it's interesting. To, I still am not totally sold where our third line offense is going to come from. I'd like to see a little more consistency uh, coming out of these guys, but there's definitely been steps in the right direction after the Alberta road trip. Yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on the fourth line so far? I don't think Beagle's got any points, but. Now, Penalty kill-wise, and that's one of the reasons why you brought Beagle in. He's looked pretty good. Fourth line the last couple of games has been better. It's been a fourth line. And Vertanen, as I mentioned earlier, has looked good on that. And it's 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 a fourth line. You're, you're not getting them out there to score goals. Beagle's been fine. Vertanen's been fine. Schaller's been okay, I guess. I mean, nothing spectacular, but they're, they're doing what they got to do right now. Uh, you know, yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, the fourth line... Obviously, they're not a line that you're going to have to rely on to win games or anything like that. But I do think that they've played relatively well. And Beagle's penalty killing prowess has shown early in the season. Um, I like the addition of Vertanen on that line. I think it gives them a little bit more speed. Schaller and Beagle aren't the fastest guys. It will be interesting if Mott is cleared to play. If a guy like Schaller comes out and you get a little bit more speed on that fourth line with a guy like Mott. If you got any of them in a Tim Hortons pack of hockey cards, I don't think you'd be jumping for joy or anything. But they're they're serviceable out there. They're they're doing what they got to do. Um, Quinn Hughes, what do you what have you been thinking about Hughes? What you've seen so far? I mean, for myself, there's just been some moments where, you know, I've said this before. He's unlike any other defenseman we've ever had. It's very tough finding a comparable unless you're comparing him to this new breed of other NHL defensemen. But geez, what have you what have you thought of Hughes so far? I mean, I think. I don't like to make huge proclamations for games. Huge hey, proclamations? Nice. Um, into this early into the season. But, uh, I mean, just the eye test. And that's what everyone loves to talk about is the eye test. To me, he's he's been our best defenseman, I think. I mean, there was that play, I believe it was... I believe it was the, the the L.A. game where he lost the puck and then he skated back and retrieved the puck from the, the, the player that stole it off him. And I think just his speed helps him make up for a lot of... Uh, you know, of, of taking some of those high risks that he does take, uh, he's able to kind of make up for it with his with his back checking and how fast he can get back and retrieve the puck from uh, an offensive player. Yeah, I noticed that the last two games too. I don't think we give him enough credit for getting back. I think it's again, it's nice having a guy like Chris Tanev to pair with him. Both those guys have three points through four games. I mean, who would have thought that? But I've seen a couple times even where Tanev moved up in the rush and Hughes was going back, and it's something that I think. We we get lost in the way he breaks out of the zone and the way he works the point, but he's been he hasn't been a dif- defensive liability at all. I think he's played quite well on his own end. Well, there was that great goal that Tanev scored, set up by Hughes, where Tanev's the guy driving to the net, and Hughes, I believe it was actually a shot, not a pass. 
uh, and Tanev was right there for yeah. the rebound. It was great. Uh, maybe the the first time in his career where he's r- jumping the rush on a odd man rush and deflecting it in the high slot. Yeah, it's certainly an unorthodox play, but that's the kind of vision and, and things that Hughes is bringing. And uh, it's four games, but another guy I'm on the hype train with. I, I love what I'm seeing out of Hughes. And we talk a bit more about Hughes later with uh, Braden, but I think it's only a matter of time before he's the quarterback on PP1. You talk about how you have Besser and Pedersen on the wings there, but once we get Hughes out there, you have those three shots and what you can do with that and using that high umbrella. I think that's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, I think Hughes is, like I said, I thought he's been probably our most consistent and our best uh, defenseman this early in the year. Uh, I've liked what I've seen with him, and I think you know the Canucks fans... We should all be excited for what he could bring to this team because you've been saying it all year. You know, uh, we've never seen a player like him on the back end for this team. We've had guys that are relatively close, but this new breed of defensemen that we've kind of seen pop up in the last maybe six to eight years. I think Dowdy was maybe one of the first guys that we would see like this, and Duncan Keese, another guy that kind of comes to mind. But even them, as great of a skaters as they are and as much of a rover as both those guys are, this new breed of like Hughes and Makar, um, even Rasmus Dahlin, uh, it's a whole new uh, type of defenseman, uh, prototype of defenseman we're seeing. And, it, and it's great. It's that new NHL, which we always talk about. Well, I think Dowdy was more the transition from pure size to uh, a kind of a, a medium range size defenseman with skill and what you're seeing from these guys like Darlene McCarr and Hughes is the skating and the speed and definitely they're more diminutive in size but this is the way that the NHL is going this is really what the new breed is is maybe guys like Dowdy and kind of led that and kind of steered it in the right direction but I really think only in the last couple of years we've started to see this because I mean you wouldn't see guys like Hughes and McCarr getting drafted as high and even Bowen Byron this year because of their stature and just they're not that six foot four 220 pounder that we used to always see growing up i mean that was the defenseman if you weren't six two 200 you weren't going to be a defenseman yeah i mean gone are the days of guys like dana merzen and murray baron you know what i mean and unfortunately hey, no unfortunately. offense to those guys i mean i love dana merzen and you know murray baron i used to joke that i'd call him porridge legs that was his like nickname with me and my buddies way back in the day. Uh, my, um, my nickname for uh, Yerky Lume was Beef Yerky. Beef Yerky, nice. I like it. Um, but yeah, like I, uh, Quinn Hughes has been great so far. Uh, you can't be upset with it. I know some people, and again, like you alluded to, we do get into this with Braden a little bit later about whether or not he should be on the first unit power play already. Um, but I mean, he's he's producing where he is, and I think that's fine. And. I know it's easy to kind of load up the first unit, you know, to start off, you know, to get them producing, but I like a more balanced attack. And I think that's one thing that we keep hearing this year and we've, we're seeing is that the Canucks have more depth. And with depth, you need to balance out, you know, your your high-end talent a little bit more throughout the, throughout the lineup. Yeah, I, I agree. And high-end talent as well. What I'm seeing out of Jacob Markstrom right now is high-end talent. I, I see this guy picking up right where he left off last year as team MVP. I said it earlier, but through four games, I think he's our team MVP as well. Now, the big news coming out today with Markstrom uh, is he's going to be taking a week off from the team for personal reasons. I hope everything's okay. Sending you lots of positive vibes out there, Jacob, and take your time, and I hope everything works out well. Now, this is going to be interesting. Thatcher Demko's coming in. Zane McIntyre's called up. The Canucks have back-to-back games coming up eventually. It's now Demko's turn to shine. What do you think about Thatcher Demko? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, Demko's got, what, 10 professional games? 10 Something or like 12, that. I believe it is. Yeah, it's not a lot. No, uh, and obviously Demko was called up last year after Christmas, and then he kind of got injured, I think, one or two games in. He was injured for a month, and we had that whole fiasco with having the emergency call-up of uh, Di Pietro. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... I, I, I'm not... I don't want to start a goalie controversy. I'm willing to give Markstrom the benefit of the doubt. He's looked really good to start the season. He was arguably, like you said, our MVP last year. Um, but I am interested to see what Demko's worked on for this year. Demko, even in the preseason, he didn't look great certain games. I, I, I thought overall, you know, his position, positionally he is a good goalie. But, you know, at times he doesn't have great post-to-post -post reflexes or anything like that. He does seem to get beat on his glove side a little bit more often than I'd like to see. But I think this is a great opportunity for Demko to kind of step in and prove to the management and the coaching staff that, you know, he should be getting close to 30-35 games this year. And for them to have to make a really tough decision come this offseason about a long-term deal for Markstrom, or do you kind of try to convince Markstrom to sign a short-term deal and give uh, Demko another year to kind of take the next step. Yeah, I agree. This is a good problem to have, and it's not unlike the Luongo-Schneider uh, situation that we had years ago, which also worked out pretty well for us with, with Bo Horvat coming in. But I think uh, this is a good chance. You know, it's four games in. It's been Markstrom all four. The Canucks have had a weird schedule, too, having all these days off. There's been no reason not to play Markstrom. But this is what we wanted to see. We wanted to see kind of maybe a 50-30 game split with Markstrom and Demko this year. Now's a great time for Demko to come in, get some games. It's early in the year still. Detroit's a team that we can compete against. It's not like we're chucking them into the lion's den like we did with Di Pietro against San Jose. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can bring. Uh, I, again, I, I've said Markstrom, I think, has been our best player so far, so it's a tough one to come in and fill his shoes. But I think uh, this is. I'm excited to see what he can bring in the game tomorrow, and I hope he does really well. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, obviously, we'll all be watching with bated breath. Um, but Demko, to me, I still think he has a future, and I still think he can be a future number one goalie for this club as well. Um, but, you know, this is kind of a prove it year to me. He's got to be a reliable backup. Um, I think I thought the more games he played last year, the better he got. And I think that's he's one of those goalies, and you see this quite often with goalies, in a game where they're not getting a lot of shots, they end up giving up a soft goal because they're just not... They haven't been getting a lot of opportunities, or they haven't, you know, they haven't felt like they're in the game because they're not making saves and they're not as focused. And I think we saw that a little bit with Demko last year. He wasn't playing as often as I would have liked to see him play. I know Markstrom was playing great, but the team was out of a playoff race by March, so it would have been nice to see more games uh, allotted to Demko. And I think it affected him. I think he's a guy that needs to play games to kind of hone his skills and to be sharp and to kind of get more used to, you know, NHL shooters. Yeah, he only had a combined 25 games last year between the the Nucks and the, the Comets. So it'll be nice to see him run with a couple. And I don't think, I'd be surprised, I don't think he ever did a back-to-back -back starts with the Canucks. I, I can't think of anything. Do you think they will start Demko back-to-back? -back, or is Zane one of the... I would like to see them go with Demko. Yeah. Just give him the one, two, three, even if, if you know, three games in there. Just I, I would like to see them go with Demko all three and again it's dependent on how he plays though right yeah. and and what what the team say I know I think it's uh, we got the afternoon game coming up at some point don't we or is that this week or uh yeah I'd have to check the schedule I, I believe there is an afternoon game coming up uh I don't know if it's Sunday I believe there might be like a Tuesday yeah game it's on uh Sunday. I think it is we got back to back back to back this weekend right it is so it's back to back 
10 a.m. starts here because they're on the road in New Jersey and New York. So that's kind of a weird one. The Canucks in afternoon games, or in this case, morning games for us, they never seem to fare very well. But there's games to get tomorrow against Detroit, and then they're on the road against St. Louis. I expect them to play both of those. I expect them to start against Jersey as well on Saturday. It's the Sunday game against New York where... There's, there's a few questions involved. Well, and I believe the report was Markstrom was gone from the team until the weekend. So mm-hmm. I would imagine he's going to start one of those games, depending on... I, I think he's gone home. So like you said, thoughts and prayers. Hopefully everything's okay. Uh, so I think he flew back to Sweden, depending on when he gets back and what his jet lag is. But I guess if he's going to meet the team in New York, it's less of a time difference and a shorter flight for him to kind of meet up with the team. So I expect Markstrom to probably start the Sunday game. That would be ideal. I think for now you can all but slot in Demko for the next three starts, and that's exciting. I think that gives you a real sample size of what the guy can do. So here's hoping for a good week out of Thatcher Demko. Yeah, absolutely. Should we uh, get Braden on the line here and talk a little bit more about special teams? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. Pleased to have Braden from the PP1 podcast joining us because everyone loves a good Canucks podcast crossover. Braden, how are you doing today? Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing pretty good on this fine Thanksgiving day. It is indeed, yes. Yeah, so we, uh, we're we calling you, you're in Kelowna, are you not? Yes, I am. been in Kelowna for the last 21 years. Awesome. And uh, just tell us briefly, how did you end up becoming a Canucks fan? And then also, how did you end up starting the podcast? Oh, man. Uh, well, I'd have, to, I'd have to go pretty far back to try to think of what, why I became a Canucks fan. But uh, there was a short period of time where I grew up on Gabriel Island. Uh, it's pretty close to Nanaimo. And uh, I went to my first game there with my parents. And that was that was back in, I don't know, 97, 98. So I remember going, it was a Flyers-Canucks game. And we got we got, we got got our asses kicked like 8 nothing. But I remember Pavel Bray was something special to watch. And... Um, no, ever since I saw him, it was just I was a Canucks fan right then and there. And uh, I think another big reason is kind of funny uh, being like a four or five year old uh, growing up on the coast. I uh, was a big fan of the movie Free Willy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Canucks had that kind of Orca logo, so you could say uh, that might have been a reason I chose the the team. Kind of they caught my eyes there, so to speak, with that logo. So um, yeah, that's why I would probably be a Canucks fan. I'm a, I'm a diehard, and uh, you know I was. For the podcast, it was it was something I kind of got into these last few months. I started listening to uh, Canucks Conversation, uh, you know, by by Chris Faber, and uh, it was something really fun, just kind of do at work and pass the time. And you know, I used to have a job down in Jersey City, uh, and I was working with uh, Ted Wong uh, as part of the PP1 podcast. And actually, Ryan Hank was also working out in Guilford. And uh, so, you know, I, I had the idea, and I reached out to Ted. He's just kind of like my number one free agent after I was going after, if you want to say that. So. Um, yeah, yeah, I talked to him, and then he reached out to Ryan, and we uh, we got a good team of three guys here, so three dudes, if you want to call it that. So, yeah, happy to uh, get the PP1 podcast up and going. Yeah, you guys sound great, and how long have you guys all known each other and been talking Canucks? Oh, well, uh, I was working at Jersey City back when I was probably 14 years old. Um, Ted was my manager there, so I've known Ted for, oh, 12 years now, so... Uh, we've known each other a lot, and uh, we used to just talk, you know sit around the store a lot and talk a bunch. And um, so you know, it just kind of got the idea of starting our own podcast, and uh, you know, it's been a ton of fun. And uh, yeah, I haven't really known Ryan as long, but Ryan and Ted go back you know several years, and uh, no, it's been really nice meeting Ryan as well. He's been he's been a great uh, addition to the team. 
Uh, nice. Uh, you also write for uh, Canucks Way. How'd uh, how'd you get started uh, writing for for them? Yeah, well, uh, it's been an it's been an awesome time running, uh, writing for them. Uh, to be honest with you guys, um, I uh, met my girlfriend about a year and a half ago, and she uh, really got on board with how much I was enjoying watching the Canucks, and uh, she kind of got me going. Like you gotta you gotta start doing something about this, and uh, she got me starting this Facebook page, which which eventually that led me to the podcast, and uh, I got talking to Chris about I was listening to one of his podcasts, and he just started talking about how he got started at the Canuck Way and. If, there's other people out there to reach out. So I reached out to him, and uh, yeah, now here I am. He, he set me up with a, a trial piece with the Canuck Way, and you know, I've been doing a good job there so far, and they're happy to have me. So it's been really good. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, Chris is a really good ambassador for the online community, and uh, he's been a help with us as well getting started. Um, the PP1, PP1 name, how did that come about? Yeah, the PP one, uh, that was actually uh, Ryan's idea, and uh, the three of us just kind of liked it. You know, um, you know, hockey's always the funnest to watch when the power play is on, and uh, the Canucks finally have a good power play one, uh, hopefully, throughout this season. So it just kind of stuck, and we liked it, and uh, yeah, we go from there. So kind of Canucks-related. We might, might end up throwing some sort of Canucks name in there eventually, but uh, we like what we got so far. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's jump into that... Uh that power play one, what we've seen right now. We finally got our first goal at home. Yeah. We went one for four over the last two games. Uh, we were pretty quiet to start the year. What have you seen so far out of the power play, uh, and what are your kind of initial thoughts about it? Well, like you said, we kind of had that uh, slow start with the power play when we rolled out uh, to begin the season. And me personally, um, it was nice to see that we had that kind of depth to try, to, to try running two power play units. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it really worked out for us. And, you know, that might have something to do with, you know, there was no chemistry formed with uh, Berland and PD and Besser and, and things like that. And you're not really sure what you're going to get when you got a guy like Weevil in your first unit. Um, I was I was kind of the guy that I wanted for that on that first unit from the get-go. And, you know, we finally kind of made a couple little changes there, and, and that's when we finally saw our first goal. So I'm happy the coach is, uh, you know, kind of listening to what the fans want as well because, you know, we do have a big opinion on it and uh it's not like we're blind out there when we're watching so no it's been good it's been good so far i really like the way the first power play is looking now are you a fan of loading up the first unit putting horvat besser pd all together up front yeah i i like the power play exactly the way it is um the one thing i might if i could change something maybe but i wouldn't change it uh right now uh jt miller on the wing has been a is a, is a good guy to have there the only reason I would ever even consider switching him would be to put him on actually on the second unit, um, which is actually where they started Bo Horvat. Um, but uh, I do like the way they have it. Uh, the one thing I think will change eventually is obviously the addition of Quinn Hughes taking over power play one. Um, he did a great job, obviously, against the Kings there. And he's been, he's been doing a great job ever since he came to the team. So hopefully that doesn't take too much longer. But uh, Edler's also been doing a great job. So, yeah, you could say I'm a fan of uh, loading that first unit for sure. Yeah, do you think uh, Green's decision to start uh, Hughes on the second unit power play is a good one, trying to ease him through? You yeah. know, don't want to just kind of throw him to the wolves right away. Uh, I know Green did bring up that point during the preseason that uh, Edler had four points on the first unit power play for that one preseason game. So are you yeah. liking Green's deployment of Hughes and slowly easing him into that role? Yeah, yeah. You know, I really don't mind uh, the way Green has approached the situation. Um you know, Alex Edler, he leads this team franchise points 
by a defenseman, and there's there's a really big reason for that. He's been a great backbone to that first uh, power play unit, and you know when he when he comes out of the preseason with seven points, and like you said, four on the power play, you can't just really take it away from him right away. So it's been kind of nice to see um, Edler still have that spot on the first unit, and it's been really nice to see Hughes, you know, giving that that time on the second unit, kind of getting getting his stuff figured out. Um, like I said, though, I do believe it's only a matter of time until we see Quinn Hughes on that first unit. Um, honestly, I wouldn't even mind him throwing in two defensemen on the first unit if you're keeping Edler on it. Um, Hughes is kind of he can kind of play forward just the way he's been moving around. So, um, uh, yeah, it's only a matter of time, uh, in my opinion. Hughes is he's definitely a rover out there. Um, are you overall a fan of a four-forward approach, or do, do you think with this team that you can, like you alluded to there? lean towards a two-defenseman de- approach on some of the units? Yeah, I am definitely a big fan of the four-forward uh, setup, like I said. Um, but I do think if this year with the acquisition of Tyler Myers and uh, the way Quinn Hughes is playing, you almost have to at least have two defensemen on one of those units. I just You have to give power play time to Edler, Myers, and Hughes, in my, in my personal opinion. Um, if we're paying Myers $30 million, he needs to see some power play time at least. Yeah, for sure. Myers had all of 12 seconds of power play time in the the game against Philly. And the Canucks have only used three defensemen on the power play at all over the last couple of games. One guy I was kind of curious about, maybe seeing some time down the road here, is Troy Stetcher. Do you think there's any sort of power play upside to him? I think him and Ben just haven't been used a lot in the, last, uh, in the first few games. Yeah, I, uh, he's definitely one of those guys you can plug in there for sure. Uh, in the previous years, uh, he's kind of been that smaller guy in comparison to Quinn Hughes, the guy who can kind of move around. He's not as much of a rover as Quinn Hughes, um, and it is a little unfortunate that he kind of gets put, you know, down the lineup with all the new acquisitions we have had on defense. But you know, I think those acquisitions, those needed to be made. The defense we had last year was not good enough, and you know, Stetcher did see power play time last year, so maybe that's the reason. Like, you know, he's not going to see as much time this year. Um, I think he has the tools to contribute to the team for sure. I just don't think he is on the highest priority list for power play time. Yeah, I think uh, with the acquisitions on the blue line, we've been able to move him down the offensive depth chart a little bit. Up yeah. front, besides some of the big boys, uh, we've seen a few other new guys out there on the power play. Is there anyone up front who's really impressed you so far? Yeah, there's a couple names that have kind of stuck out to me, but if we're going to kind of stick it to new guys, um, I would say J.T. Miller has been nothing but outstanding. Uh, I was a big fan of trading that first-round pick for him. Um, I know a lot of fans were not not a fan of it. and I mean, obviously you're not going to be a fan trading that pick away, but uh, I don't think we're going to be too worried about it uh, in a year's time from now. I think he's going to show why we traded for him. And uh, But also uh, Tanner Pearson has been spectacular. He goes a long way in showing why we sent down Sven Berchi. Um, he's had a ton of shots, and he's producing. He's got four points, you know. They're, both of them are leading our team in points. Uh, Miller with five and Pearson with four. Um, so, yeah, they've been, they've been great additions, and, you know, they make this team look completely different uh, than last year. Yeah, I, I agree. We've talked uh, a lot about the, the Miller trade and how we don't like giving up the first, but adding in a guy like Miller into the top six and Tanner Pearson, who's also – being a proven force out there in, in top six roles. Pearson, as well, has really impressed me on the penalty kill. Uh, have you, do you have any thoughts on what he's kind of brought on both ends of the ice there? Yeah, he's definitely been a, a really good surprise 
for the Canucks. Uh, one of those players you can kind of plug into any situation, and um, it's nice to have that confidence in a player, especially one who has a Stanley Cup ring. That goes a long way on this Canucks team, and uh, yeah, really happy to have him here. I, th- I think he's going to do really well, and uh, you know, he can he can plug in plug him in anywhere in the lineup, which is good. Well, it's interesting as well, uh, not to beat a dead horse or anything, but uh, Good Branson's been healthy scratch the last couple of games as well, so. You can see we bought low on Pearson. Uh, for whatever reason, he didn't seem to fit in with Pittsburgh. But, yeah, he's really gelled uh, since arriving with the Canucks. Him and Bo seem to have a great chemistry. Uh, and, yeah, like he seems to be able to – his penalty killing, to me, is really underrated along with you know what he can attribute to your power play. Uh, is there anyone in the bottom six that you could see maybe moving up to the second unit power play? Anyone in the bottom six moving up to the second unit? Um I haven't actually looked too deeply into the second unit power play right now, but um, I would honestly, the way Vertanen has been playing has been all right. His chemistry with uh, with Brendan Sutter has also been good. Um, but uh, I think it's only a matter of time uh, for guys like that with this team. I'm not really sure where they're looking right now, but if we can plug one of them in and uh, try to get some trade value in those guys, I, would, I wouldn't be a... I wouldn't be against that. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting take on Vertanen because I personally have been really hard on Vertanen and think he's been a bit of a disappointment. But I agree, you know, he hasn't really had the opportunity to actually be given a long chance or opportunity on either the first or the second unit power play. And I'd like to yeah. see him maybe given that opportunity. Yeah, I was just given... Um... Would you would you mind uh, kind of running back uh, the second unit back to me uh, when they played in Philly? I was a little busy with some Thanksgiving things, kind of caught bits and pieces of the game. I'm kind of having a tough time jogging my memory. Yeah, second unit. I'm just trying to look at the time on ice from it. Um, I think uh, Pearson, Gaudet, Levo, uh, Horvat, yeah. and Myers. I think it was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. And Hughes, Hughes and Myers. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I like the way it's, I like the way they have it, and I don't think you need to change much. Uh, but the nice thing is with the Canucks this year is that we have the depth to change those pieces if we need to, and that, I think that is, is going to go really far this year for this team. Yeah, and one thing as well, going back to Jake for Tannen is he. I think through the first four games, he's done quite well in the role that he's been given, and I think he's trying really hard to earn his way back up into the trust. But for a fourth liner, I think for Tannen is actually played pretty well so far this year. No, I, I completely agree with you about Jake Vertan and uh, kind of one of those guys who's been up and down the lineup and maybe it's a bit of his own fault there. And um, But again, with a guy like that, you know, he had a pretty good season last year, kind of died off uh, towards the tail end of the season. But it's hard for a player like that when, you know, you go and you sign two new players. You get J.C. Miller coming in and Michael Ferland. So it's hard for him to keep up in the top nine with that depth. But I think it's also good for him, especially coming into a contract here. He's going to be fighting, you know, tooth and nail uh, to stay on this team. So um, he's one of those players that can kind of move up and down. So it'll be nice to see uh, if he can start getting the goals and get the shotguns going for the fans. I know, I know, my, a lot of my friends enjoy those uh, shotgun beers. So yeah, are you uh, are you at all concerned about uh, Michael Furlan's slow start to the season? Again, I know we're only four games in, but yeah. you know how Canucks Twitter can be from time to time. No, for sure. No, I'm, I'm not exactly too concerned with Michael Furland. Um, he was a little bit of a later uh, pickup, but I was really happy that Jim Benning was able to grab him. Uh, it's kind of funny, like Jim Benning actually grabbed pretty much every player I wanted in the free agency. But no, I'm not too worried. It's only been four games, and like he lost like ten pounds 
in the uh, preseason, all while not even getting chemistry with the top players here. Um, the one thing maybe I am a little worried about with him, though, is if he kind of stays in the middle six, if he's unable to find chemistry there, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. Um, I think with him, he shows a lot more point production when he's playing with better players. And if we can't get him to kind of fit into that top six, I don't know, maybe he kind of becomes someone who, you know, will have to lean a lot more on his physical game to earn that $3.5 million contract. But, you know, some people are saying maybe his tougher physical side was maybe a part of his younger younger days. And if he can keep bringing that physicality, I'll be happy with him regardless of where he plays in the lineup. I do think kind of lost in, in all this is Michael Furland actually the last two games did lead the Canucks in hits out there. So I, I think he's bringing a, a bit of that edge, but he just hasn't really had that uh, net presence. And I do think a little bit of that has got to be due with him having a bit of a an illness going through camp and just coming in a little bit oh, slow. No, for, yeah, sorry for cutting you off there, for sure. Um, it's got to be hard to be, you know, when you're a physical player out there having to give it your all and, um, you know, go out there head first, um, being, you know, Michael Furland, it's kind of expected from a player like that. And when you're coming off a sickness where you're going to lose like 10 pounds, it's going to take you some time to kind of get your energy back and get going. Um, but it's nice to see that Michael Furland is realizing that. And he, and it's, it's nice to see that he's realizing that and doing something about it. So I think it's only going to be a matter of time until he starts getting going here. And, uh, I hope we see him get another, another crack in the top six. Um, I personally would like to him in the top six permanently if he can get some chemistry. Uh, I haven't been too happy with Josh Lego, uh, but it's kind of hard. We don't really have a right hand shot in that second line if we do that. So, well, it's interesting that you bring up the top six because one thing that I think a lot of Canucks fans were initially shocked about was uh, Berchi being sent down to Utica, but yeah. Erickson keeps being put up in the press box. Do you think there's an opportunity or a chance where? They decide to send Erickson down to Utica and call back up Sven. And then you got Sven, who, in my opinion, can easily, like Furland, play between, you know, the third, first, and second line. Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, something kind of, in, I've been asking the guys at my own podcast, like, how long is it going to be until we, until we see Erickson get sent down? Um, it's been a bit surprising for me, honestly, that he's been scratched three games. Um, I don't think he's really complaining too much. I think he's making somewhere around $73,000 a game to watch the game. Um, but I'm completely on your side with that. I think Sven Berge could totally be up here. I also think Oldobin could too. Um, I think it isn't only a matter of time until we send him down. Um, but I think it's kind of up to Erickson as well. I mean, like, what do we, what do, we have to do to kind of get him to start playing, right? And uh, I don't think he minds sitting in the press box, but... Uh, I don't know. Something's got to give eventually. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep them. They keep them around. Uh, I, know, I know. Sending a lot of veterans, like you know, it pisses a lot of veterans off around the league when you start sending down big money contracts like that. Um, it's not going to win you any favors. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I just, I hope eventually we're not talking about Louis Erickson anymore, and uh, he can, he can find, uh, you know. You can go somewhere else and play hockey somewhere for somebody else. No, I, I totally agree with what you just said. I mean. I kind of look at it as if you're going to keep Erickson on the team, you expect him to actually be playing then, and he's not playing. And the power play, I believe we've only given up one goal and was it 12 opportunities? Um, yeah. So our power plays, your penalty kill, pardon me. So it's, it's you know, it's it's really playing well. And for me, if Berchi is on the club, you can easily slot him in somewhere in this lineup currently. I mean, I, I pull Schaller out of the lineup personally, and who knows what happens when Mott comes back and... Um, 
Russell. Russell, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, I really definitely don't see a spot for him on the roster when Russell comes back. That's definitely someone I mentioned to see as, as well. Um, yeah, I think, you hit, I think you hit the nail on the head there, though. Um, it's just a matter of time until, you know, Erickson's permanently not on this roster anymore. But uh, for now, we, I don't know. I don't know what we do with him for now. Yeah, I, think, I think the fans have spoken about uh, what they want. Uh, but maybe, the, maybe they'll bench him all year, and eventually he'll just uh, go back to Sweden. Yeah, the nice thing is there's not a lot of money left on his contract, so if he did walk, uh, he's still, for him, he's still taking most of his cash with him. Uh, just going back to our penalty kill, it's currently third in the NHL. We've only allowed the one goal. I think that was in the, the Philly yeah. game. That was the first goal we've allowed, but currently the third-ranked uh, PK percentage in the league. Um, I just wanted to touch as well on a piece you did for the Canuck Way about Tyler Myers um, and just kind of... Uh, what I, I kind of got out of that was how we need to manage his expectations a bit with his size, but also just a, a lot of the other things he can do. Um, can you kind of give everyone just a, a quick synopsis on your uh, thoughts on Tyler Myers and what we can expect from him this year? Yeah, I just uh, wrote, I think it was my seventh or eighth article at the Canuck Way. It's called uh, Tyler Myers. and He doesn't have to be necessarily need to be mean to be effective. He doesn't really need to bring that uh, mean streak. I know it's really nice when you hear... You know, we got a six foot nine, six foot eight, six foot nine monster of a defenseman coming to the Canucks. Uh, you kind of think he's going to be this big physical guy, and uh, he can be physical when he wants to be. But I think it's important for, you know, some of the fans that don't know who we're getting off the bat that to know that the, that the physicality side of things, although it is one of his traits, it's not actually his strongest traits. And um, he's actually brought in to kind of, uh, you know, take the reins over from Alex Edler as he gets older. Um, they played together for the Colorado Rockets, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like the same thing happening all over again for the two of them. So I think he's going to – he was a fourth or fifth guy in Winnipeg, but I think in Vancouver, you know, he's going to see a lot more time, and we're going to lean on him a lot more. So it's one of those guys that can, you know, he looks huge out there. He's got a big reach with his stick. He can bring the puck up the ice, find that first pass, and he's also got a boomer of a slap shot. So, uh, you know, when we when we do need him to be mean and be physical, I think he will be. But uh, just don't expect him to be the guy out there, you know, laying out ten hits and dropping the gloves. Yeah, he's a he's a tower of a man out there. You notice him every time he's on the ice. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of that physical play. We've seen some ups and we've seen some downs from him. Did you ever get a chance to see him play when he was with the Rockets? Well, yeah, actually, I went to high school with the guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, really? I So uh, yeah, I watched him play back for the Rockets, and uh, I've been a fan of him. Ever since he played for the Rockets, I was really hoping, you know, we were going to be able to get our hands on him in the drafts back in, I think it was 2010. Uh, but, you know, he was drafted by the Sabres, and he put up that Calder Trophy winning season. And he's kind of one of those guys that I actually, you know, if you ever, I don't know if you guys play NHL uh, 20 or whatever, but I bought those that series every year. He's one of those guys that I always, you know, tra- he's the first guy I trade for and put him on my team. So, uh, <laughs> I'm a big Tyler Myers fan. Uh, really happy to have him. Uh, being from Cologne here. I think there's there's no doubt in Canucks fans' mind that regardless on when you get into the analytics or the pros or cons of him, that he's definitely an upgrade on what we've had on that side of the blue line over the last couple of years. No, yeah, I think uh, some people were a little worried uh, when we first signed him. Um, I was actually like, I was over the moon about the deal. Um, it was first originally rumored that you know he's going to get seven by seven, and I think. I think Benning did a good job. You know, Tyler Meyer said he left money on the table. And, um, no, I think it's, re- it's really good uh, that he's a Vancouver Canuck, and I think he has a lot more to bring um, in this five-year contract with his. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, 
thoughts on the Canucks roster this year? Just kind of quickly, what do you what do you expect from the team? Well, uh, you know, I think I've been one of those betting bros. I'm a really big fan of the scouting. Um, but it was nice to see this year that he talked to the fans. He said, you know, what he thought was wrong, what he, what he needs to do to make the team right. And he went out and he got a top six forward. He got two top six forwards uh, in Michael Ferland and JT Miller. And then he went out and he signed some, some different defensemen in Tyler Myers and, and Jordy Ben, who can kind of, you know, we're a lot more gritty. So that's a really big thing for this team. I think it's going to go a long way. And um, also our, our, our stars and the, and the players that Benning is drafting. Um, you know, he's gone out and he's drafted the pieces that we need that are going to contend for a Stanley Cup in the next couple of years here. But he's also signed the players that I think are going to help that. You know, he kind of came in four or five years ago and said he wanted to play a meat and style, meat, meat and potato style game. And um, not necessarily that we want to do that now. You know, we have a lot more skill with our players, but we have that meat and potatoes around our skilled players, and that's good to see. So, but I think one of the biggest things with the team this year is just the, the, the overall depth. Um, I'm happy to say that, you know, when we lose a guy like PD to injury or Besser or whoever, we can uh, jump into that uh, prospect pool and pull up a guy like Sven Barrett here, Nikolai Goldobin, or even, uh, you know, Oleo Levy. So I think uh, maybe I expect the Canucks to be, you know, fighting for that playoff spot. And uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if they surprised some people out there this year. Some haters. No, <laughs> I, I totally agree. That. I think this team think- is vastly improved over last year, especially on the back end. One of the big criticisms I had with management last year was they brought the exact same blue line yeah. back going into the season as the t- 2017 season. So yeah. you knew they weren't really going to look like a team to take the next step. And I think Benning addressed that this year, and he deserves all the credit in the world. And I can't remember a time in my Canucks fandom of us having this depth of prospects and these prospects actually making, you know, impact on the NHL team as quickly as they are. Guys like Besser, Patterson, Hughes, Godette. Godette. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I completely agree with you. And like uh, like I said, um, Jim Benning has been a, a really good uh, scout for this team. That's, that's why we brought him in. And that's the biggest reason I'm a Benning bro. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I'm really excited to see what this team can do this year. Yeah, I, I fully agree. So if you, Ted, and Ryan go out to watch a Canucks game, who's going to cause the biggest scene? Who's going to cause the biggest scene? Who's, who's going to spill know, the beer, uh, be the, the loudest guy in there? Who's, uh, who's, who's the guy? I'm probably the loudest guy uh, between the three of us when we get together um, at the studio. But, uh, you know, so maybe I could take that. But, um, you know, Ryan's a pretty funny guy as well. But, uh, you know, the three of us will be, will be loud as hell if we're going down there to watch games. So it's always a good time. Uh, and I'm looking forward to catching the game later this year. That's that's excellent. Uh, do you want to just give a little plug to your podcast and uh, where we can find you guys? Yeah, we are. Uh, we're called the PP One Podcast. Stands for Power Play One, uh, and we're just three dudes from Kelowna. Like we love talking about the Canucks. Um, you can find us on Twitter at the PP One Podcast, and you can also find me on there at BK Twenty Three, and Ted's at T Three. And Ryan Hank is at Always94. So you can find us on there, and uh, you can find my work at theconnectway.com. And, yeah, that's it. Uh, where we, uh, we just show weekly episodes, so uh, usually around Fridays you can, you can find our stuff pretty much anywhere, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all that stuff. So uh, we really appreciate the support, and uh, we love bringing the content every week. It's been a lot of fun.
Awesome. Well, once again, Braden, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Pete and I have listened to your podcast. I think you guys are four or five episodes in so far. And yeah, yeah. Man, the content you guys are bringing is great. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much for having me, you guys. Cheers. Thanks, Braden. We'll talk soon. All right. Enjoy the game. We may not be drinking a beer tonight, but it's always time for a nice whiskey, especially on a beautiful, crisp fall day. Doug, you're supplying the whiskey today. What do we got? Uh, yeah, so I know we doubled up last week, but uh, this week we've got something we haven't tried before. It's a Deanston 12 Highland Skull Scotch. Uh, yeah, I really like this stuff. All right, let's uh, have a wee dram of that over here. So, Pete, as I pour us a dram, uh, what would you like to discuss this week? I am going to start... Well, that's a, that's a thick one. That's going to make for a wobbly run for me later on. Um, I just wanted to talk about the absurdity and the weirdness of the NHL schedule, especially at the start of the year. But first, let's, uh, let's cheers here. Let's cheers. So, just kind of a few things with uh, that jump out at me. Mm. That's nice. So, the Canucks, for example, they've only played four games so far. And what's even weirder is there's teams that have played less than that. Chicago does play tonight, but Chicago, New York, and Philly have only played three games. Out of the Canucks' first 11 games, seven of them are against the East. you got teams like Tampa who've played five games but only one at home so far. you got Winnipeg and Dallas who are already at seven games. And another weird thing about the East is even though Philly and the Rangers have only played three, every other team in the East has played five-plus. So it's it's what I, I guess I want to get with all this is that it's it's too early to really get sample sizes on how a team's doing when you're comparing teams against teams that played twice as many games. It's going to affect your hockey pools as well, where guys are off to these hot starts and other guys seem to have slow starts. It's I just telling everyone out there just to preach a little bit of patience and caution, and I don't think you can really get a sense of how your team is doing until about the quarter game marks so around game twenty when everything starts to even out a little bit. Doug. What do you got? Um, I just wanted to talk about um, some of the fans being a little upset about Trevor Linden not being at the ceremony uh, for opening night to anoint Bo Horvat as our new captain. I don't see it as that big of a deal personally. Um, I understand that, you know, Linden was an integral part of the 90s Canucks and clearly there was a little bit of a... It wasn't an amicable split between ownership and Linden. Um, but, you know, there was talk that he was out of town. I, I'm going to take everybody who's reporting at their word that Lyndon couldn't make it. Lyndon never actually played with Horvat. I know he was the president during Horvat, but he wasn't the general manager or part of the ma management group that drafted Horvat. I would be a little bit more concerned when it's the Sedin's retirement or Jersey retirement game if Lyndon's not there. Then, yes, then I think there'd be a little bit of a quell to, you know, to kind of talk about and it'd, it'd be a little bit concerning. Um, but, yeah, I think that needs to be put to rest, this whole thing about Lyndon not being there. Yeah, there's no Lyndon, there's no Marcus. I, I have a feeling we'll see them at some point through this 50th anniversary season. Uh, Marcus did pen an open letter to Bo Horvat in The Athletic. If you haven't had a chance to read it, I believe Drance helped him co-write it. It's a great article, great job by Nasland, and uh, yeah, give it, go give it a read. 
Uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. Uh, we're nine episodes in. That's been a whirlwind nine weeks. And, uh, yeah, Pete and I, we love doing this. Uh, thanks for listening. It's also nice just to finally be able to talk hockey instead of hypothesizing about what the roster is going to look like or what our kids are doing over in Estonia or something like that. Big thanks to Braden from the PP1 Podcast. You can find them at the PP1 Podcast. Braden's handle is bcursell23. Also, shout out to his co-hosts. I think they're doing a fantastic job. That's Ted at T3Re and Ryan at Always94. They're definitely worth checking out. Uh, They do a really good job based out of the Okanagan there. Uh, yeah, and you can follow us at Canucks Speakeasy or at Canucks Speak on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Doug Venn and Pete at Pete underscore gas. Once again, we appreciate everybody taking the time to listen and happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week.